This is a Cop Think podcast where we answer the question, why do the police do what they do? I'm the host, Brian Casey. My guest today is Kent Williams of Breachpoint Consulting. Now, for some people, if you hear that name, like when I hear that name, I kind of get a little smile on my face because I know you. Uh, I'm eager to have other people that don't know you hear you. I consider you an expert in, you ready? Uh Uh-oh. Soulful policing. Wow. Wow. Soulful policing. Yeah, that resonates with me. It really does. I think uh, the spirit of a contemporary guardian is important. Uh, I think contemporary guardians, I call us contemporary guardians, Uh, guardians of the kingdom, guardians of the republic. And I think uh, that is a very soulful endeavor, a very spiritual endeavor. And I think it's important that we don't divorce ourselves from that mission. Well, and one of, when I first heard you, I think why I found it so appealing is that you were talking about things like a part of a 2,000-year-old tradition. Mm-hmm. And that made a lot of sense to me. I think it makes a lot of sense to other yes. uh, law enforcement folks. Well, sure. Since the dawn of mankind since, and since the promise of the garden, uh, the world is broken. And it's going to need somebody to stand up for it. And that those have grown into occupations, whether it were centurions or Spartans or Templarians or knights of old, or today I call them police officers. Uh, societies always need somebody to stand up and hold the line and be willing to go to the underbelly and the fringes of society and protect the people that live there as well. I think it's a really appealing message uh, to police officers. When I first heard you, and uh, it's actually in the first chapter of my book because it seems so important, I talked about two things that were really profound for me. One was the struggle between trust and control. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, in the book, I kind of talk about it as one of four problematic adaptations of being a good cop, mm-hmm. which is kind of clumsy, but that's what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. And the other one, uh, and something about that that's interesting is good for work, not so good for home. Oh, sure. And the other one was, uh, I don't know, three dogs. Mm-hmm. And I also want to have you eventually talk a bit about the five, four, three, two, one. So yeah. can you touch on at least the first two right away? Well, sure. Uh, you know, when I was 20 years old in the academy trying to fit into a culture I didn't understand, uh, I knew I wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to be a police officer since I was four years old doing backflips over my parents' couches and coming up and saving my family from all kinds of stuff going on in my head. I think I read too many comic books. And lo and behold, here I am at 20 years old sitting in an academy uh, not feeling worthy, feeling like I was on eggshells, trying to fit into a very misunderstood culture. And when you don't understand a culture, that's really all you can do is fit in. And that's a lot of yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'm fitting in, sir. Uh, But there isn't a whole lot of opportunity to really ask significant questions because that's not part of the fit into the mold model. So you just shut up, you take a lot of notes, you run fast, you take a good test and you fit in. Uh, And by fitting into a culture you don't understand, you might not even realize it, but day one, they're treating, they're teaching you to trust less and control more. And that's how you get through a police academy, whether it be in the scenarios or uh, in the testing. Uh, They're trying to make sure that you can be in control of a volatile situation, an unpredictable situation. And the way you maintain control is to be less than trustful in those environments. Uh, And I wasn't that. That's not who I was. I was a very trusting, very flexible, very uh, responsible, very... uh, hey, go with the flow kind of person. And I became a distrustful control freak at 20 years old. And I got good at it. And that served me well 
on the street in crisis. Uh, it allowed me to go into volatile situations and go home safe and survive the day. Uh, but you can't go home distrustful and controlling because that's uh, there's another term for that. Uh, it's a divorce. <clears throat> and if you're not aware that there's a significant threshold there uh, and you're just fitting into something you don't understand and they don't particularly tell you that's what's going on in your subconscious, then it's very easy to bring these perspectives across thresholds. And next thing you know, you find yourself shutting down at home. You find yourself pulling away at home. You find yourself in a somewhat of a social drift where you lay on the couch a lot and you check out and the family's up communing in, in the family room and you're back in the man cave or the den. Uh, and it becomes this kind of an isolated lifestyle. And uh, I've always thought that was goes back to the subconscious is pretty intelligent and knows why would you engage people from a dysfunctional perspective better to disengage and drift away rather than do damage in your significant relationships. And I think that's always been a big part of our cultural issue is great cops begin to drift both at work and at home and become more and more isolated fitting as they get better and better at fitting into what I consider the most misunderstood culture on the planet. So Long these course. are some, some of these are necessary adaptations, Absolutely. both for the academy and not all police officers go through an academy and then work in the so-called mean streets. Oh, absolutely. I, I, not only are they necessary, they're required. Uh, if you, and if you're not a distrustful control freak out on the street making a traffic stop or going to a volatile bar fight or investigating suspicious people in an alley or whatever it might be, the, bump in, the proverbial bump in the night, uh, and you go in there being trusting and uh, go with the flow, that's a lot of things, but it's not a police officer and you'll get yourself killed or your partner significantly injured or bystanders injured. So these are absolutely required with apology to no one perspectives in crisis, in crisis. And I always say police officers are naturals of being a true blessing in and of crisis. But I think there's a curse that comes along with that. If you don't know that when the crisis is stopped, the, it's time for a personal transformation back into uh, what I would consider more of a uh, conducive perspective for meaningful relationships. Well, then, um, I've heard you say this. I hope you can fit it in. What is What do cops fear the most, the two things they fear the most? Oh, yeah. Well, there are two. I call them phobias. Uh, phobias. A phobia is an unmastered fear, at least in my words, that can change your behavior rarely for the better. And to me, there are two phobias in law enforcement, and that is the fear of getting caught trusting too much or getting suddenly caught controlling too little. Uh, and you put the, those two things into a little Petri dix, and that's that's a disaster for a police officer, uh, suddenly to realize, oh, I've just been caught trusting too much and controlling too little. Those are horrific nightmares, uh, often referred to as critical incidents, where the officer is significantly injured or, or the partner. Or they have a near miss that they reflect on later and say, I'm never going to do that again. Perfect. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. And we all have near misses where we go, oh, they could have had me, or oh. I just got lucky there. And it usually goes back to finding yourself lulled into a sense of complacency where you did get caught trusting too much or controlling too little. And next thing you know, something that you thought was going in a, one direction is suddenly much more volatile than that. So another thing that's really unique to your message is this concept of how everyone in life struggles with maybe home and work, professional life and personal life. What's, more, what's different about law enforcement? Yeah. I call it, you know, everybody 
knows the traditional work-life balance and everybody's looking for a mentor or a counselor or sometimes even a, a, a qualified therapist to help you with that balance between work and life and when you think about that I assume all jobs are stressful in their own way and maintaining a balance between the skills that are required to be a top performer at your place of work and the skills that are required to raise kids and change diapers and keep the house clean and be uh, uh, vulnerable to a significant other that can be that can be challenging in any profession uh, that's the work-life balance uh, but in law enforcement I've always said there's one more there's the street and we often put that into work. I don't. To me, work, when you compare it to the typical work-life balance, are the relationships inside the organization. Your relationships with your boss, the hierarchy, your peers, your subordinates, uh, the clerical staff, administration, that's work. Uh, when you think of work, you think of work relationships. Uh, and that can be challenging, like for anybody. Uh, how do you perform well with the hierarchy and then go home and perform well with your kids and your spouse? Law enforcement has, I, I think, a third arena, and it's just globally known as the street, where uh, those skills are dramatically different than the skills required of your work relationships or your family life. In other words, what keeps a police officer a high performer and performer in volatile chaos, uh, the perspectives that are required for that are perspectives that can have you actually doing damage to your reputation in front of a, a peer uh, um, uh, or a superior or a subordinate. Uh, and those were what I call the five strings of the law enforcement culture, the perspectives they give you when you go to the academy that they don't tell you they give you. Well, okay, so go tell me about that. Uh, well, I call it... Uh, problematic police perspective if you don't know that are the perspectives that you must have with apology to no one as the blessing you are in crisis and those perspectives are uh they can get attached to you almost like you're a puppet to them and i and i i call it the, uh, the conundrum of being a uh, predictably pissed off police puppet and not knowing why and the strings that uh that I also refer to as the perspectives are police officers are notorious uh, unapologetically uh, as the blessing they are as being pessimistic, non-trusting control freaks who fight change and assess blame and being a pessimistic, non-trusting control freak who fights change and assesses blame is absolutely a definitive blessing in and of crisis when things are up for grabs. And, uh, the best example of the one I use in my seminars is if you don't believe that's who you are, and I'm talking to police officers, I say, uh, let me show you all five strings in action. And that's when uh, I say, drop the knife, do it now. Uh, that's all five strings. Drop the knife, do it now with a gun pointed at somebody. That's being a pessimistic, non-trusting control freak who fights change and assesses blame. In other words, we are going to dynamically control this environment and bring this to a conclusion. Uh, but if you're sitting in roll call as a pessimistic, non-trusting control freak who fights chain assesses blame, well, that's a guy that's spitting in a cup, half asleep, might smell of, of the night before, and he's calling all the policies bullshit in front of a direct supervisor. Uh, and I question how that can be 
uh, beneficial to somebody's career path. And yet we're known for it. We're known for disassociating in roll call, calling things bullshit, getting angry over very minute minutia types policies or adjustments of schedule or adjustments of uh, a policy or assignment. Heaven forbid we changed a patch on the shoulder. Uh, these are the type of things that push a pessimistic, non-trusting control freak who fights change and assesses blame over the edge sometimes and uh, can be less than uh, uh, <clears throat> professional in front of peers. Well, every cop knows exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Can you, but can you help us a little bit by talking, maybe just repeating each of the five strings? Yeah. Well, the pessimis pessimism uh, serves us well uh, in unknown environments. You know, what's the worst thing that could happen here? Uh, what's probably happening here? And police officers tend to look at things of what's possibly occurring. And we tend to push it through negative perspective or a negative filter. Uh, most people look at things as what's probably happening here and they push it through a positive filter. So right there, there's a dichotomy in the way we look at our worlds. And pessimism serves us well. If you walk, a uh, police officer going 20 years looking at everything optimistically probably isn't going to get out of his probationary status. Uh, the FTOs, the field training officers will find him and say, this guy's less than beneficial to us. Well, and their loved ones don't want them approaching strangers for a living at car stops acting that way either. Yeah, how can you walk up to a traffic stop being optimistic? I mean, that, that's literally putting your life and others in, in jeopardy. So pessimism serves us well in crisis on the street. But we have to keep it limited to that arena. That's where being a pessimist really is beneficial as a blessing. Uh, pessimistic, non-trusting, uh, control freaks. In other words, people who go into volatile uh, uh, situations that we've been called to. Uh, we know very little about it other than that it was worthy of a 911 call. And we show up into these situ situations, you have to be distrustful. You have to be controlling. Uh, and you have to fight change. In other words, sit down, do it now. That's fighting change. In other words, we're trying to minimize the rapid evolution of an already volatile confrontation. Uh, and it is our job to assess blame. Who's at fault here? Who's to be brought to justice today? Who's to be blamed for this misconduct or this vice? Uh, and we get really, really good at it as the blessings we are on the street. But it's got to stay there. And we have to be aware. We have to be able to name the perspective in order to be in control of it. In other words, to be able to utilize it as the tools we need, as the blessings we are on the crisis of the street. But if you're not even, if you can't name your perspectives, then probably it tells me you might be attached to them and you may have become a pessimistic, non-trusting control freak who fights chain assesses blame. Well, there's the rub. Nobody wants to supervise or be led by a puppet. Nobody wants to be married to or be raised by a puppet. Uh, and by puppet, I mean perspectives that are required with apology to know as the blessing we are on the street in crisis that we now get attached to because they didn't tell us this in the academy and it's the people we become rather than the tools we use. That's how you get rewarded in our culture is refining these skills and, this, and thus the strings get thicker and thicker over time hmm. uh, because they're actually reinforced, they're actually uh, rewarded and awarded. And if you're not careful, you could have an entire police department made up of puppets from the top down. You know, and nobody, imagine a, a pessimistic, non-trusting control freak who fights change and assesses blame, leading a whole shift full of pessimistic, non-trusting control freaks who fight change and assess blame. And nobody can name the perspectives, and thus that's the people we are. That sounds like hell to me. <clears throat> In other words, we have to be able to use these as tools and then shut it down. So what's the antithesis of that? Well, it's to, I think it's to 
challenge yourself to be an optimistic, trusting, empowering individual who embraces change and accepts responsibility, both at work and at, at home and raising my kids. Uh, that's called healthy relationships. But we never talk like this to cops. So what the strings get thicker and thicker as they get better and better at being blessings in crisis. And if they're not careful, that can slide into living a lifestyle that I refer to as the curse, both at home and within the department. Boy, you know what I'm going to do when this thing's done? <laughs> You're going to tell your wife you love her. Yeah, okay. I'll do it right now. She's sitting right here. I love you. Um, or also, uh, and maybe I'll go get a cigar yes. um, and look for some walleye. But, yes. but uh, is I'm going to write down the five strings. Yeah. And, I'm gonna, and also write down the antithesis. Of the, antithesis yeah. I can't yeah. say it, but you did. Yeah. Of those as well. And yeah. I'm going to write that for me to look at because... Yeah. I've never heard you say that before. I've heard you talk a number of times yeah. where you, you, you said the five strings, you say, take control of those so mm -hmm. they don't control you. Mm -hmm. And then the, the opposite of those. Yeah. And reflect and I, on those. Yeah, I like it. And I, uh, I almost see it like a threshold. The whole name of my consulting firm is breach point consulting. And a breach point is a professional pause to put a plan in place, to dominate a threshold in such a way that when you traverse the threshold, with high confidence, you know you can maximize everybody's wellness on the other side and dynamically change the environment for the better. That's a breach point, and it's very tactical. Well, why couldn't that be personal as well? Why can't we see the many thresholds that we cross back and forth on a daily basis, both personally and professionally, where we go from the department out under the street or from the department across a threshold through your garage and another threshold up through your kitchen where you are now interacting with the people who care and count most in your life. And if you don't see those as visible, tangible thresholds, well, then you probably won't show yourself enough dignity to give yourself a professional pause to put a plan in place to make that traverse and dynamically change the environment for the better on the other side by being an optimistic, trusting, empowering individual who embraces change and accepts responsibility. So there's the trick. We are a uh, culture of individuals, guardians, who have to dynamically have two very di diametrically opposed sets of perspectives in order to do well in our overall quality of life. And very few people on the planet Earth have to balance that. And that's a high wire act. That's a high wire act, especially if it goes unmentored and not talked about. Right. And it's interesting you mentioned mentors because um, many of us wish we had been mentored better, mm -hmm. but rarely do many of us seek out mentors and are bold enough to, mm. to look for people that we admire and ask mm -hmm. them to mentor us, or we wouldn't necessarily put it that way. But mm -hmm. you also said the threshold thing, and I wrote that down too because I understand the breach point analogy and why you call what you do mm -hmm. breach point consulting. Mm -hmm. But I love the threshold, too, because of the household threshold. Of course. Because I heard you the first time you talked about trust and control. You're like, hey, have a sign on your door as you're leaving the police department. Mm -hmm. Trust less, control more. Mm -hmm. And as you come back in the police department, because mm -hmm. that's a threshold mm -hmm. that you need to mm -hmm. get that under control so you mm -hmm. don't distrust your coworkers Absolutely. and all that. Absolutely. Uh, and try to control them inappropriately. Mm -hmm. But um, you know the band that you give yes. people, that the, the snap thing? You can talk yeah. about that if you like. But when I got that, I put it on the doorknob of my house because ah. I didn't want to wear it because I'm a cool sure, guy and sure. I don't want to wear it. Um, but I uh, put it on the doorknob because I wanted to see it crossing <laughs> that. that threshold. I you love know? that. Yeah, there's your ident that you identified that as a significantly important threshold, mm -hmm. and you put a symbol around the doorknob saying, "Okay, this is where you take your deep breath. This is where you put your plan in place, and right. this is a threshold that is worthy." <laughs> 
of a change for the better. So that really helpful, that five string thing and who wants, I mean, I like who wants to be a puppet. I yeah, don't know. No one wants to. How about, well, how do you illustrate the, the work-life balance plus the addition of the street dog? How do you illustrate that? Well, what, what, what analogy or what I use image? It, I call it walking the dogs. And if you've ever gone for a walk with two big alpha dogs at the same time, you're probably uh, you're going to be injured by the time you get back because they got different opposing uh, goals. And I had two big Labradors I used to go jogging with, and uh, one was a puller, and another one was a uh, wanting to meet everybody on the path. So he'd go behind my back, and I was getting spun like a human top into the limestone, uh, the path, and coming home literally limping and bleeding from my elbows and. Uh, I was upset at him and I pretty much tell him get out of my life and they cowered in the laundry room and my daughter was nine years old at the time and she held the line between me and the laundry room and told me dad it's time for you to do the math and I looked at her strange I'm like well, have you ever had a nine-year-old tell you to do the math when you're bleeding and uh, she said dad please go jogging with one of my puppies at a time and take him half the distance you won't be angry anymore and I looked at her funny and I'm like what and she goes, you're always mad at my puppies. Just take them out one at a time. Go half the distance. You won't be angry anymore. And I really felt like a jackass at that point. I'm like, well, isn't that common sense? <laughs> and yet out of the mouths of babes. And uh, over the years, as I learned from that, and uh, I found a proverb that goes right along with it. Uh, when the student is finally ready, the teacher arrives. And on that morning, she was my teacher. I was ready to hear it. Now, she could have said that probably any other time. It's just my daughter. I don't have to listen to her. But those dogs humbled me that day enough to uh, hear an important message. To this day, they get their own jog. We go half the distance, and they still don't hunt at all. But uh, at least I have something in common with them. <laughs> so um, you've heard the phrase uh, fighting the good fight. Fighting the good fight. Yeah. yeah. It's so important. Well, and I had a, a cop say to me the other day, and it was a really a great compliment he mm -hmm. said thanks brian for staying in the fight uh you know and i thought well i just i really accepted that i liked i liked that he felt what are your that, thoughts on what he meant by that i have thoughts on what he meant by that thanks i guess for staying i was in the fight. yeah that that i was keep tr here's what it, i think it is i think of myself as an earnest person mm -hmm. i want things to be better i know that i have a lot of i i'm not a taker as much as i have something to offer and uh, I think in policing, you know, how we mock cops when they say, oh, why do you want to be a cop? And then they say, uh, what do they say? The class, I want to help people or whatever. People. Yeah. And then we kind of later on mock that as if they were foolish. And I don't think they were necessarily foolish. I just think it was harder, turned out harder to do than they thought. <laughs> and the idea is don't abandon that. Just adjust your aim. Wow, I love that. You know, and so to me, that's what I took it as, is he was saying to me, Thank you for continuing trying to make things better because I, I don't know, I, I don't think of myself as necessarily optimistic or pessimistic, but mm -hmm. I do believe that I can make things better. Um, of course. I have complete confidence. Of course. I, I, I always believe I can somehow make something better. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what he was maybe describing. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I think it's important. I, I, I'm just... I don't know him and I don't know what he meant, but when I hear thanks for staying in a fight, I, I almost can hear him say, thanks for hanging on to why we do it. <laughs> thanks for uh, embracing our why and not losing uh, the hope that comes along with the why. And so, so many do in, in this fighting the good fight. Eventually it, it just becomes a fight. 
and they lose why they do it in the first place. And I think when you lose your why, you lose your resiliency. And uh, I call that the predictable downward spiral into a dark place. Uh, and if you don't know why you do this, uh, you can get lost really quick. I, I, can I share with you, I uh, teach at police academies as well as out on the road with veterans. And uh, I always take advantage of the, uh, the new recruits. And uh, they're so healthy for our spirit because they remind us of who we, we were when we were youthfully naive. And they are. They have no idea what they're getting involved in. Uh, so I would call that youthful naivete. Uh, but they do know their why. And uh, I always ask them, why are you here? And, and uh, every hand goes up almost like it's spring loaded. Uh, they're eager to share why they're there. They know why they're there. And then I challenge them. I say, okay, we're going to keep this to one word. I want one word answers of why you're here and I'll let you elaborate them, but I want to put the word that you tell me up on the board and then we'll talk about it. <clears throat> and I just brought this with me, uh, knowing that we might be talking about resiliency. And, uh, I just asked a class on September 17th in the Chicago metropolitan area. Why are you here? And here's some of the words they shared and there's more, uh, respect, service, commitment, support, role model, trust, change, impact, purpose, protect, mentor, loyalty, rewarding, calling, guidance, fulfillment, duty, courage, people, family, growth, teamwork, love, responsibility, and they go on and on and on. And every one of those words resonates with what you said. These kids are earnest. They know their why. They know their why. And uh, <clears throat> I say, okay, uh, let's be careful because if I had a hell hosted a field trip and bring you back here on a big bus five years from now and I ask you why you're here, it may change to this. Uh, crushing child support, marital maintenance of some person I can't stand, uh, dental insurance that pays for one or two teeth a year, and the dreaded pension. <clears throat> and whenever I hear angry veteran police officers, I always ask them, why do you do it? And it's never... The words I just shared. It's always the pension. And then I ask him a question. Okay. If I could allow you to quit today and go into solitary confinement in a federal penitentiary and get paid half what you're making now for the rest of your life, would you do that? And they laugh at me. They go, of course not. And I go, well, that's exactly what you're doing. You've lost your why. Uh, it's about a pension. And now you're in trouble both at home and at work. And it shows these guys are obvious. Uh, they've lost their earnestness they've lost their why now. And here's what I tell my veteran brothers and sisters. We're going to lose our naivete, our youthful naivete. We see too much too soon, too early, too often for 20 plus years, but you can't use, we cannot lose our youthful idealism, the earnestness as you speak. If you lose that, that means you don't know why you go into crisis every day. And if you don't know why you go into the crisis, well, then you become part and parcel of the crisis. And that doesn't never plays well at home or at work with the other two dogs. You, you still might be an officer of the year on the street. It's the other two arenas that start taking a hit. So if the new cops or the recruits or academy cops know the why, mm -hmm. you're suggesting or saying that the um, older veteran cops maybe have forgotten the why. That's right. And I think that's why... When you come to talk to police departments, and I've been in those rooms, they love what you're saying because you are talking to them about the why and you're reminding them of it. That's right. 
it's it's a very powerfully important lifestyle. I mean, there is no Minnesota without the men and women in uniform. There is no Midwest. There is no country without the men and women in uniform. We are the guardians. We build the foundations of society of which everything can be built upon their shoulders. So that is an absolute blessed lifestyle, but it requires a lot of work on thyself. Well, I'm actually very impressed, and I think you're courageous in this, this and that you will tell cops they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's impressive to hear because I ju- you just said it right there a minute ago. Yeah, buddy, you're in trouble. Yeah, uh, you know Robert Frost, our famous American poet, said the only way out is through. And what I see with my brothers and sisters is they don't even know they're in it. Yeah. So how are you going to get through it? Yeah. And slow burn. I, and I feel out of I do not judge. I do not evaluate. Uh, I come in as a broken, miserable mess myself who has learned a lot along the way and learned to humble myself. Uh, and I share with them what it is we're in. We're in a misunderstood culture, and we've all gotten caught fitting in, and there's been caustic consequences that come along with that unless we have a safe place not to be judged, not to be ridiculed, not to be evaluated, but just to have an open, honest conversation about the culture. Well, here's something, too. I don't know if you heard this analogy to the why. It's um, uh, do you mop the floor or clean the floor with the mop? There's a huge difference. Uh, you've seen people mopping floor. They push a dirty mop around, mm-hmm. and the floor is dirtier than you started because mm-hmm. they don't give a damn or mm-hmm. they don't care. Or do you say, hey, I want to clean the floor. I'm going to use a mop to do it. I mean, I it's that. a very different approach to thing. And, and police work, I tell you, there's probably jobs you can do in a lackluster way. Mm-hmm. Police, I always think that police work is an easy job to do poorly. Oh. It's a hard job to do well. It's, it... And like Jordan Peterson would say, well, the bigger the... The, the bigger the weight, the better. You know, mm. do something hard that mm-hmm. advances you. So I love that. That's really helpful. Before I forget to mention, you had said something about um, the threshold. And one of the really powerful messages that you have, and also your, part of your generosity, is talking to loved ones as well. Yeah. Household family members, for example. Yeah. Your whole half day training mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll just tell you that, as you know, Officers are struggling sometimes as they need to be, mm-hmm. as what is necessary for maturation. Of course. But often they really worry. So when they hear a truth teller like you give a message, they're like, I want my loved ones to hear this message too. Mm-hmm. It is so mm-hmm. comforting, I guess is the word, mm-hmm. to them to be able to have you share your message with their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, uh, I see that as the ultimate honor. Uh, I've always said society will only be as well as the police officers are at home. And if uh, we start falling apart at home, well, then you can anticipate the uh, uh, society will follow suit because society's always been relying upon well-balanced guardians who understand their why and their ability to deliver dignity into the lives, minds, and souls of others. And I think that all starts at home. And if we can't do it at home, well, then how do we expect to do it in a squad car? So I think uh, you have to honor family. You have to cherish family, and uh, we have to, to uh, trumpet the importance of our family because uh, this is not a go-it-alone lifestyle. <clears throat> now, it'll make you become very self-sufficient in crisis. Uh, but if you go into crisis on a daily basis for 20 years where you have to be self-sufficient and you come home and you're equally self-sufficient there, well, then that's I call that the caustic drift away from your soul, your mind, your spirit. And uh, 
it can be a dark place and a lot of too many of our brothers and sisters are allowed to go there and it, and it makes sense i mean i i say we are constantly throwing police officers into three percent of reality big cities whether it be the twin cities or a suburb or a small town 97 percent of that town works pretty well uh unpoliced uh People drive the speed limit because they think they ought to. Uh, they go to work and are respectful because they were raised to be that way. And then there's the 3% to keep us in business and keep us busy. And every cop will tell you, uh, it seems like 85% of our time is spent wrestling around with 3% of the community. And that's true. And that goes back to the dawn of time. <clears throat> but think of the math when you think about how much respect we should give to the police. We send these kids to 100% of the 3% for 20 years. And when you start doing that math, let's send these kids to 100% of the worst society can drum up, <clears throat> which is just 3% of reality. And we're gonna do that day after day, week after week, year after year to them for 100 years and not give them a safe place to decompress and talk about the consequences of that. Well, then you have an isolated community that feels misunderstood, and that leads to uh, frustration, stress, and anger. But you can do that for 20, 30 years you can. if you have some clarity about your purpose. That's right, if you know your why. If you know your why, if you understand thyself, and I call that humility, uh, if you understand yourself enough, well enough to work on yourself, both psychologically emotionally and spiritually and keep yourself in balance and you don't lose your why you can go to the three percent for 20 to 30 years and be a very healthy person because you'll see the thresholds but if we never talk like this brother to brother or brother to sister or sister to the sister in this arena then you're going to see the social drift the, the isolation the pulling pulling back from meaningful relationships and that's where we lose our why and that's where you see the plummet spiritually I tell you, the, I love this why stuff. I, I've talked to a lot of cops at my agency and others over the years that have talked about really horrible events that they were called to. And I've heard them, some of them frame it in the most amazing ways. Like, uh, I think this will make me a better cop. I think I'll know how to do this better. Uh, I, I'll, do, I'll volunteer for death notifications because I really want them to be done well that type of stuff. So they do really difficult things, but, mm -hmm. but they actually, this gives to them, that's soulful for them, partly because they're so, have so much, and maybe they don't put it in these terms. I'm sure they probably don't, but they have clarity about why they do what they do. Yeah, I love that. Clarity. Clarity on the why. It makes it all much more possible. Well, I think the, the you've seen those illustrations where they have the what you do. Well, you, you, I'm, what I do is um, I'm a police officer, and all that takes is show up in uniform. Well, you also know how to do it. And then the how is the next layer, and that tends to be kind of I'm a tough guy, I'm a not mm -hmm. a tough guy. I mean, all the variations, mm -hmm. and then the why is where the heart is. Yeah. Huh? And, and, and can't you really boil the why down to dignity? I feel like it's my my job to have dignity enough for myself I can give it away to others in other words to know my why it's such a dignified level that I can provide it to others and well, you'd, you'd have to be at peace in order to deliver dignity to somebody else I think at the uh, I've seen the town of um, Kent Williams uh, where the police department on their police cards it says dignity I'm just making that up I just <laughs> would, the reason I, I tried to talk about I think I tried to talk about that in the book because yeah. I talk about mm -hmm. service and protect and I was thinking like 
a lot of citizens believe that's written on the side of all police cars, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. a lot of police cars, it's not. Maybe mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, I don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. But often, I think I've heard you say that before, the dignity thing. Well, it really, ultimately, it's all a person has when they're at when it's all been stripped away, right? Yeah. And if it's not the guardian's role to show up and with tenacious diligence reestablish dignity in somebody's life, well, then things can get pretty bad pretty fast. Uh, imagine me living under a bridge with in a box and all I got is my dog and the neighborhood gets tired of it and doesn't like the odors that are emanating from under the bridge, so they call the police. Well, if the police officer shows up, without making sure that my dignity will be restored or at least maintained, I'm going to bite your nose off because it's all I got. Oh, that is so true. I'm I living in a box. Well, and also I noticed that sometimes the one thing people have left mm -hmm. is to be difficult. And yeah. I, there's a different phrase I might use on yeah. that on the street. But, yeah. you know, so they're like putting up a big fight or making mm -hmm. a big fuss or acting out of line. It's the one little thing they got. That's what they the got. The one bit of control they can have is, because mm -hmm. you've had it where people are like right in your face, like mm -hmm. begging you to fight them. And you're yeah. like, why are we going down why this? Why are we doing this? And it's because yeah. it's the last bit of control you have. That's maybe. It. That's but anyway, it. I, that's a little bit of a distraction from the dignity thing. What, I, this is something I really need to ask you. Um, and that is when you talked about cops not necessarily knowing they're in trouble, which because of it's a slow burn, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. In your mind, either in your own life or what you witnessed, what were some of the early indicators uh, that question. trouble was coming? Great question. Uh, <clears throat> well, I lost a dear friend, uh, and quite frankly, too many of them to suicide along the way, but one towards the beginning, one in the middle, and one towards the end. And I've always said it doesn't matter when a guardian loses or why, you will see a, a, a plunge. And I've they, those devastating moments of my life, losing close friends to suicide uh we're all wake-up calls uh i remember losing good cops that i beloved uh close friends of mine to internal investigations due to behaviors uh both on and off duty and i'm like what is going on how can these guys be such blessings hit a wall and then suddenly do s something that some would call stupid uh if you don't understand why they do it in the first place uh, but personally, mine was laying on a couch on a Friday night with a beautiful wife that wanted to go dancing and me telling her I was too tired. And she finally had enough and said, what's wrong? And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong. I'm fine. She goes, really? And she goes, you just lied to me twice. It's been a long time since you've been fine and something's wrong. I've known you since you were 14 years old. Nobody knows you better than I do. You've changed. And we got to figure out why. Cause I, quite frankly, I don't know how much longer I can do this dance with you. And that was my wake-up call. I'm like, what are you even talking about? And here's this young kid fitting into a culture he doesn't understand and doing a really good job at it. I mean, valor awards and accommodations of merit and extra assignments and more responsibilities. So how could I possibly be wrong? And I, I don't think I was. I don't think I was wrong. I was just think I lost an ability to transition effectively and knowingly. In other words, I call it the conscientious lifestyle of a contemporary guardian where you can see your why you can see the thresholds you can see the perspectives and you can dynamically change them when appropriate in other words you're in control of it instead of being manipulated by it like an upset puppet and those were the wake-up calls you know losing good good and close friends who are excellent at what they do and nobody knowing why uh, everybody being shocked and the love of a, a woman i don't even deserve my soulmate looking at me like 
where have you gone? You've drifted and I don't know how to get you back. And me looking at her with confusion, like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And you put all this together and what it is, is people fitting into a misunderstood culture and being a blessing in crisis and living the lifestyle of a potential curse when it is past because you don't know thyself uh, <clears throat> because we do change. This is this was officer wellness in the early 80s. This job changes you, so don't take it home. That was it. And I've always said, well, that's a lot of things, dignity, dignified, it's not. You have to specifically know why we change and don't apologize for those changes, for being as good as we are in crisis, because there's no society without this change that takes place in our mind, heart and soul. But we have to know what it is so that we can master it instead of being manipulated by it. See, that's why you can deliver that message, because you give that other side of the hook to it that mm -hmm. says... Don't no apologies. No apologies. That's why. I mean that's that. why you. That's why people want to buy what you're selling. Well, it's true. And why would you apologize if we apologize for these perspectives? We die. Our significant injured. Uh, our partner gets significantly injured, and we lose Minnesota. So why would we apologize for these perspectives? These perspectives are the definition of a blessing in crisis. They also can be the curse if you hang on to them when the when the crisis is passed. Oh, so true. Now, one thing that was remarkable about the couch get up and dance story that's what a dumb paraphrase but uh is a couple thoughts on that one is i was expecting maybe more of a subtle example which maybe seems subtle to you like what are you talking about mm -hmm. to your wife it's like this is not subtle at all <laughs> this is a huge yeah deal another thing too just for to help cops one of the things they need to do is they literally need to get up and go dancing with the wife oh. but that's not enough it's not. Because they're going to go there and they're not going to be themselves. They're not going to, they're, they're, they're in trouble. So what they, I believe they need to do is go look for, uh, look to meet their responsibilities and look to get better. And, it's, and if they're not better, that's okay. Um, and what it takes to get better, there's a lot of things. One in, includes professional therapeutic help. Well, sure. Um, well, but it includes other things too, as well. But, yeah. um, but one of the big things, like in my job, is to speak honestly to some other someone else about your distress. Yes. And then start start working to get better. Well, you said it when we started off. You called it a mentor. <clears throat> now, mentors come in different roles, uh, but a mentor is going to be first and foremost a safe place. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to evaluate you, and they're not going to pile on. And to me, in law enforcement, we have too many buddies and bosses with no mentors, no true mentors. And the difference is this. A, a, a boss could care about you, but subconsciously, or, or if not consciously, the officer knows, well, this guy's going to evaluate me. And he's going to decide whether I get promoted or I get the dog or I get mm -hmm. investigations. So there's all, it's only going to get so open there because there's a natural tendency to protect yourself when it comes to bosses. And then you got your buddies and your boss, to me... Uh, Definition of a buddy is a guy that'll might drink a little too much and pass out on your couch, but he's probably not going to be the person to have you have an Eureka moment in your crisis because he's probably going through similar crises as you are. So then you have the mentors and where you find one, you find one, whether it's a retired police officer that you respect and know well enough to open up to, but he's got no position over you to evaluate or judge, uh, or whether that be a clergy uh, or whether that be uh, 
therapist, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or a social worker, I would always just suggest make sure they know a little bit about our culture. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you can get misdiagnosed with anger management disorder and all kinds of things that I say, that's not anger management disorder. That's just a cop suffering from too much of a good thing and not being taught. Well, let me interject school. something here because it's important. What is um, everything you were saying is important, but this is, uh, uh, or all those things. Yeah. And addition, um, I'll just tell you about half a therapist are probably not good at their job. At and, least with the police. Well, no, I'm going to, I'll say it, just not good just at their job. Just let me leave it there for a minute. Yeah, no, it's interesting. <laughs> um, and actually some can cause harm. Mm -hmm. Some are absolutely life-saving, spectacularly skilled at what they do. And many cops that seek therapeutic help are like, wow, I wish I had done this earlier. This is not, this is a really, really good experience. Having said that, though, about half are good at their work, mm -hmm. but some of them aren't culturally competent to work with police. That number well becomes smaller and smaller. Well said. There are numerous therapists that are, are culturally competent and skilled at their job. How do you find those? Uh, well, fortunately, at my agency, I've cultivated a group of them, and there's others as well. Um, and maybe do a different podcast on how to find that. But there I are, think that would be a good podcast to have because there are throughout our industry, people who are the Rolodex keeper of the qualified mm -hmm. and, uh, and they're generally cops in mentoring positions, yourself being, uh, a, uh, expert at that and myself having done that for years, but there are people you can go to who have referral lists, uh, mm -hmm. or at least people who are culturally competent mm -hmm. and, uh, can do a lot of good work in a very fast period of time. Well, you know, my thought about therapeutic help is most cops uh, would eventually get through their stuff, but it can take years and years and years and burn through marriages and marriages and harm children. So what the one really nice thing about therapeutic help is it can, it can speed up, well, I'll just use the word recovery. I love that. Yeah, you know, it just speeds it up, and mm -hmm. and, and if you frame it up that way, like, okay, I guess that yeah. seems like a good idea. Yeah, you know, you break your arm. Yeah, it'll eventually right That's heal perfect. itself. Exactly. It'll eventually heal yourself. But right. why wouldn't you go put it in a sling and to, to expedite the process? And that's it. just widely accepted, right? It'd be right. ridiculous for you to walk around with a broken arm left untreated. Right. Well, it also applies to the soul and the mind. So I wanna um, I wanna ask another question. And then I want to, but I first want to do a quick commercial. Mm -hmm. um, so you might be interested in a book I've written. It's called Good Cop, Good Cop, a Get Healthy, Stay Healthy Guide for Law Enforcement. So I cover a number of topics, uh, some of the things we've talked about here today. The book can be purchased through Amazon. Uh, you can also find out more information at goodcopgoodcop.com. So uh, this is another question I have. I hope I can frame can it I up. just cut you off there? Yes, sir. You did me a tremendous service by writing a book because I've always been under a lot of pressure to write a book. And then you wrote your book and sent it to me. And I said, there's no more pressure to write a book. It's been written. And it's a fantastic book, by the way. Oh. Uh, and it's got a glossary that just is impeccable. And it takes the officer on a full ride uh, throughout an entire career and for their family. So God bless you for writing that. It's been a very meaningful book. And it's uh, uh, I've been one of the foremost referrals I've been making recently is to your book. So and it's been doing wonderful work for our industry. So Ken Williams just said he loved my book. Let's pause and con contemplate that for a moment. <laughs> so thank you very much for saying that. So um, what do you want uh, for your audience or what message do cops need to hear the most, do you think? 
Yeah, I would like them to maintain their spiritual resiliency by finding a balance. And when I say balance, I, 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 I paint a picture of a, uh, a police officer being a powerful fulcrum. In other, in other words, a balanced force, a centered force between two diametrically opposed things. And on one side of a, f a police officer, you will find much more than their fair share of pain, suffering, and futility. Well, what's the counterbalance to that? Well, it's to have a safe place of sometimes quiet contemplation or a safe place with a mentor to establish the purpose in your pain, uh, the meaning in your suffering, and the hope of the brokenness of it all if a guardian can just remember their why. And that's the picture I like to paint, is let's hang on to our why, and society will be a better place for it. You know, what's the beautiful thing about that why thing is that it helps you navigate when you're hungry, tired, uh, in that moment, don't give a damn, mm -hmm. uh, or mentally elsewhere, because it can quickly get you, it'll help you through that predictable thing. And that is, I, th I heard you say this years ago, that many of the things that officers suffer are absolutely predictable. They so are. pretend these things just fall out of the sky. Yeah, exactly. And not only is predictable, we can also predict that we will have times where we are confused, unsure how to proceed, what's important. Of course. Um, so if we cultivate that why, it can help us get through even not wanting to be at work that day. Exactly. In that moment. Yeah. And uh, just a closing analogy i remember when i was upset in a roll call because uh we lost a good officer to an internal affairs complaint i remember saying you know we have tens of thousands of dollars in the budget to fine-tune these squad cars so the dreaded little check engine light never goes on and we down the fleet the whole time like a game of hot potato nobody wants to be driving the car when the check engine light comes on because it's your ass so gof grease oil filter gof grease oil filter i mean constantly taking cars out of service just to make sure they're getting the proper uh uh tune-up and then I realized something. We treat the squad cars better than the people that drive them. Mm -hmm. And why aren't we giving these little times of space to be pulled out of action, maybe just for an opportunity for a grease oil and filter and saying, hey, you're okay. You're okay. You're still in the fight. And I think that's a great message. She said, thanks for staying in the fight. It sure is. I heard a, another cop repeated a story that he had heard from another cop. It was not a great introduction, but um, he was talking about what if you in law enforcement uh, were literally given a car at the beginning of your career, maybe a brand new one or a slightly used one. They said, now this is going to be your car and told your whole career. You're going to need this car your entire career. And you'd be like, so you really wonder, can you imagine how you would tend to that you would baby that car yeah you'd baby that car mm -hmm. you'd know that you'd need to drive fast sometimes mm -hmm. and jump a curb every so often mm -hmm. but uh he just drew that analogy to mm -hmm. ourselves as well yeah hey um when you were thinking about coming here to do this podcast um anything you were thinking i might ask you that i didn't ask you uh well you did bring it up i'd like to talk uh the three seminars I'm known for, uh, Breachpoint is the biggest one. That's uh, the personal and professional breakthroughs for law enforcement, and that's for everybody. If you get a paycheck from a law enforcement institution, that's a message that will resonate with you. Then I teach a two-day leadership program called Leadership for Reducing Organizational Stress in Law Enforcement. And then the one uh, you brought up that I think is probably just a cherry on top of the cake is uh, the best backup, normal family transitions in the blessed law enforcement family. In other words... 
we all go through change when we enter into the law enforcement culture. And wouldn't it be nice if we knew what they were so that we could master them for ourselves and then to have the most significant people in your life know what they are so that they can be the blessed guardians support. Uh, society's only as healthy as the police officers are at home. And until we include them in the messaging and include them in the education of the culture, uh, this drift will continue and we'll lose good cops. Well, and if people want to hear more about what you just mentioned, where, how, literally, how would they find out more? Well, they would just go to my webpage. I got a webpage with a drop down saying contact us. And it's got the descriptors of the seminars provided and the services provided, but it also uh, <clears throat> has a way of getting hold of me directly. And that's uh, breachpointconsulting.com. And you spelled it B-R-E-A-C-H. That's correct. Thank you. Yeah. The reason I say that is yeah. I can never remember how to yeah. spell it. And every time yeah. I write a note to myself. Yeah. <laughs> breach. Through the breach. Breach point consultant. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, one, one last thing I was going to mention. So you mentioned that. And um, I just wanted to thank you for something. And that is uh, something you said to me at some event. And I was, I was really struggling post-Ferguson. I'll just call mm -hmm. it that. Mm -hmm. And you said, Brian, that's the price of being a servant to a suffering society. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly what I hear, needed to hear exactly in that moment. And mm -hmm. it, it, it elevated me. That's right. Because not only the suffering that our loved ones suffer because mm -hmm. they, are, uh, they live in a household with a cop, some of the suffering that, for that and already the suffering of being misunderstood as a cop, Etc. And it just was so useful to me. Well, I'm glad. To is that is that how you phrase it generally? Yeah, it is. It just is. Let's let's remember. There's going to be a price you pay for being a suffering servant, suffering servant to a broken world, and let's not lose our dignity in that and realize it's the most blessed lifestyle on the planet Earth. There is no there is no society without those who will go in and suffer on behalf of others and take their suffering away from them and reestablish dignity and the brokenness of humanity. I'm just going to go back. That will isn't that the the purpose, meaning, and hope? Well, I had a, several other very brilliant things to say, but I'm not going to distract from what you just said by saying them. So, <laughs> thank you so much, Kent, for being here. Well, Brian, thank you for being a mentor of mine and a friend of mine and a safe place for me as well. And I'll enjoy our cigars together from time to time.